If you've ever dealt with smelly, messy waste bins in your home, you're going to love today's guest and his new approach to home hygiene. I'm Tom Duncan, and this is Future Home. Tom's special guest is David Tafet from Petal. My background looks almost rudderless, and that if you were to try to draw a line between each of the things I've done, you would notice that there is no clear, rational connection. And my life is one where the way I make decisions is by have I done this before and if so I will not do it again so as a result I am a lawyer I'm an investment banker a venture capitalist I've had a hundred million dollar buyout fund I'm a parallel entrepreneur I'm a construction builder and I also do turnarounds all over the world on behalf of fortune 500 companies and major funds and I do a lot of that simultaneously and every single time I do it, I'm starting out with a subject matter I've never, ever encountered. And I delight in my discomfort and my ignorance. And I'll put it on full display and learn and have no issues with it. How I got to Pebble, it actually, again, has the strangest story that almost sounds like fiction because it started 16 years ago when I was doing a turnaround on behalf of a biometric company in Canada. And at the end of each night, when I would come to my Ottawa, Canada hotel, I was greeted by a bar back who would bring me a, a bowl of nuts and he would bring me my whiskey. And then he was a 16 year old getting ready for life. And he would always ask me about my day and about what business was like and ideas for his career. And we spoke that way for about three months until I had successfully turned around the company. And I told him that I was finished and that I was gonna be leaving. And he asked if he could ask me questions about his career and take me out for coffee. So we sat down, he had a list of about a hundred questions and I patiently for three and a half, four hours answered every single one of them. And then last April, I get a, a notice on LinkedIn and he says, hey, this is Michael, do you remember me? And I said, yeah, you're the magician karate guy from the Fairmont Hotel in Ottawa. And he goes, well, I took all your advice. I'm tremendously successful and I'd love to meet. And at the time my wife and I were heading to Europe. And so instead of flying out of Chicago, I said, let's drive to Toronto. And that's where he was at the time and meet with him. And in that meeting, he shared that he had these two inventors for this uh, disruption, disruptive invention called Pedal and that he wasn't quite sure how to commercialize it. And from our initial discussion, I understood that the reason that they were having some challenges is that they wanted to go head to head with Diaper Genie on only one of the different verticals that this invention is capable of attacking. And what I told him is I said, if you wanna go and beat the competition, you never go head to head, you supplant them. And you don't just supplant one of them, you supplant all of them. And I painted a very aggressive picture where all of traditional disposal should be supplanted by pedal because it makes no sense that we allow for rot, stink, and germs in our home when all we'd have to do is put it on ice and we have none of the above. And we finally have a real solution. There's some space connection if I remember reading correctly. The two engineers behind pedal are aerospace engineers. And one in fact had wanted to be an astronaut. And unfortunately, given how competitive that program is, has had to rely on aeronautical and astronaut ingenuity instead to accomplish something that a number of inventors before them had tried to do, which is to create something of a small form factor that is a familiar surprise. It looks like a traditional but beautiful Tesla-like trash can that actually is able in this small footprint to freeze its waste below zero 
and make everything solid. And it's something that could have only been accomplished through ingenuity and really like space age materials that are more recent. And both of these engineers, because of their training and because of their aspirations, were able to think beyond the obvious and accomplish things that most people couldn't even imagine thinking about. There's the, the baby side of it, but there's also the kitchen side of it that you guys are looking at. Let me back up really quickly and just state very clearly that a pedal is, as I said, a familiar surprise. It looks like a pedal operator, P-E-D-A-L operated trash can, where you push down the lid opens. And the surprise is when you look inside, there's a pail that is actually surrounded by a sleeve that is freezing it. And the reason you want to do this is for any type of organic matter in just a bit of time, it will begin to rot. Rot creates stink and also that rot leads to this uh, festering and spreading of germs. But if you freeze it, everything becomes inert and it was impossible for it to rot. And there are no germs that can grow and fester, including viruses like COVID. If they were placed in the pedal, they become inert. And so the verticals that we're after, although we're at a direct to consumer model, we're focused on babies and their diapers. And then we're also focused on kitchens, whether it's for just organic food waste like chicken carcasses, bones, fish, kimchi, things that at the end of the day, you have to take outside because they're just right. so, but also to encourage composting because a lot of people won't compost because of these terrible vectors of the garbage juice and the fruit flies and the rodents and the pets that want to get into it and the stink. You know, it's just, it's those types of things that keep you away. But then we're also focused on the things that we generally don't want to talk about. Feminine hygiene products in the bathroom. There's more uh, plumbing issues caused by people flushing it just because they don't want to live with it, as opposed to if they dropped it in a pedal, there are no issues. There is no ick factor to it. Right. It also works for post-pregnancy and for aging people for adult briefs, for people who have incontinence problems or, or growing older, think of nursing homes and uh, adults that get past their ability to control their bladders and their bowel. And then also for pet waste, it works for uh, cat litter or for dog waste. If you want to keep one in the garage, you could drop your bags in to it and then it would actually just freeze and there's no stink and no germs and no rot. And it's so anything that would normally lead to stench is something that the pedal is gonna help avoid. I mean, obviously, hygiene is really top of mind right now when we're going through the COVID crisis. And is there some application that you guys have thought about that might work in a post-COVID world? You know, pre-COVID, post-COVID. But the one other vertical, which is not a consumer-focused one, is medical waste. Mm -hmm. And we can bring um, a medical waste disposal system that actually helps protect the janitor or the trash collectors. Like we often don't think about this, that if you go to a hospital and they have that red bin where you drop everything in, well, someone has to go up and pick out those materials or in the burn center where they had dropped the skin or the, the when they pull off of the, the bandages and they drop it in, all of that stuff is festering. And then there's a collection process where someone has to go and pick that up and take it to an incinerator and every point of contact is risk. And the risk is there are germs and those germs are festering and they are spreading. 
And so a lot of our focus is designed around protecting not just our homes and giving us clean sanitary environments, but also our enterprises, our commercial locations, our hospitals, our, our theaters of war, actually, right on the edge. You put a pedal where when they're treating wounded soldiers, they're able not to have more exposure and other pathways to illness. So we see this not just as a COVID type of opportunity, but as something that is really focused on all of time. And in fact, COVID was something that the scientists never anticipated. They started this four and a half years ago to because one of the scientists was gonna have a child and he just wanted a better solution to diaper disposal. But it just so happened that as COVID came up, we were able to see all of the other opportunities. So how did the name Petal come about and how does it apply to the product? What's the thought? Well, I have to say it's very difficult for me because I have dyslexia and I often myself, knowing the name of the company, have to stop and spell and think about the T to the D and which is which because it's mind blowing. But Petal, P-E-T-A-L, was actually the corporate name that the inventors gave to their first concept of the company because they knew they wanted it to be something fresh something that would denote um, natural because using freezing temperatures to stop the festering and spreading of germs is natural. And it was also designed to uh, appeal to sort of a feminine perspective and a clean um, orientation because these are two males who are like, we're not trying to sell something as two guys. We're trying to sell something to a home and, and the home should have a quality that shows care. And, and I have to say well, for both of them, they're, it was surprising sensitivity, but they really put a lot of thought into it. And I just thought it was the perfect name. And when you're rolling out a product, one of the biggest mistakes you can make is to just push the product. And you don't want to have an enterprise without a product. You want to have it branded. And so what we opted to do here is to use the name Petal with a T, like the flower, for both the company and for the product. So as not to create any confusion and to align the brand with the product. What's been the biggest feedback that you've gotten so far from consumers? I think the best place to go to see how a real user felt about the product is if you go to Fast Company, which is a major magazine, Wired and Fast Company are two of like the top magazines in the technology innovation space. One of their top reporters had it in her home for a little bit over a week. And her primary use case was around composting and food. And her first comments were, as soon as I put it in, my swarm of fruit flies just disappeared. They were gone. There was no more garbage juice. There was no more sting. There's no rot. Everything in our house felt fresh and clean. And it was sort of like out of her cold, dead hand, we were finally able to get it back from her. Like she did not want to let it go. And that's something, the reason I would point to that is that's not an endorsement. That is someone who had a real life experience with one of our existing prototypes that was able to say that what we do is exactly what we say it does. And in a real life environment, it works. And right now we have eight different prototypes, all of which had evolved to the eighth one that is our final one right now. And we have a relationship with Danby Products, which is the largest manufacturer of refrigeration, freezing, and wine cooling devices in North America that has manufacturing facilities in Asia, Canada, the United States, and Mexico, and warehouses throughout North America. And so in one fell swoop, 
we're not in a position where we're asking people to hope that we have enough traction on our products so that we can actually produce it and then figure out how to manufacture and do reverse logistics like warranty work, repairs, and importantly, recycling. We have a relationship where we have all of that on day one. And we were also able to get their purchasing power and their economy of scales so that we can manufacture and deliver at a price point that the consumer can take where we're profitable enough, which is very difficult as a startup. Because um, this is a consumer product in a tougher retail environment, I've confronted something I hadn't actually confronted before. In, in my lifetime so far, I've raised close to half a billion dollars of debt and equity. And I generally find that that's a great way of affirming that you're with the product that the market wants because you have money behind it that says, I see where you're heading. This is the first time I've had to do what's referred to as crowdfunding or a pre-sale event because it's difficult to raise the three plus million dollars that you need to actually tool the manufacturing devices, to certify the device, to manufacture it, to ship it and distribute it, hoping that someone at the end is gonna buy it. So instead what we're doing is we're looking for pedal pioneers who are willing to buy on a pre-sale, knowing that it will take us a number of months to deliver that product. And we've launched our pre-sale event. We're in it now, we're about a month into it. And that is one component of what we're doing, which is a direct to consumer, primarily focused on the, the baby and the kitchen uh, consumer opportunities. But then separate from that, we're working on an enterprise level sale of speaking to distribution systems like the Home Depots and the Lowe's and the big boxes. And then also to the um, government, to the VA, to the military, and then to hospital systems and nursing homes about taking a large pre-order because we believe it should, should supplant the traditional disposal and medical waste products that they currently rely on that are not solving the most important issues which is getting rid of rot, stink, and germs. Mm -hmm. And we're having traction there, but it's the quintessential entrepreneurial experience where it's like, you know what should be in the world, you know you're executing well, but the world was kind of distracted by politics, voting, um, budgeting, procurement. It's like every single thing you can encounter, we encounter, which as a seasoned parallel entrepreneur, this is not new to me. I, I always tease I would be 6'3 had I not chosen this route, and I'm sitting here at all of 5'5". Five five. So. <laughs> That's great. I'm a big advocate in involving the consumer as early on in the process yeah. as you can. Is there anything that you guys learned by doing that, by you know getting with consumers, having beta testers out there as you're going through these different iterations of the, of the R&D and product development? Yeah, you know, I've used that approach in every business I've ever done. This is the first time where what we're actually putting in people's hands is, is something that works so exactly like what we said. And it's so simple in a way that, you know, that sort of mm -hmm. that hidden surprise kind of thing that people immediately approach it. It's instantly friendly. The plug is the only befuddling part. You know, you plug it in, but then they worry it's going to be expensive and it's less than a dollar a month, which instantly gets rid of that concern. You know, so it, it's something that people seem to adopt instantly. And then since it does what it says, we're not getting negative feedback. We're actually getting, can I keep it repeatedly? And, you know, we're asking people though, like, tell us more, like, what don't you like about the design? How could we improve it? We, we went from three gallons to five gallons, which I think was a really good move. And that came from consumer feedback. 
But, and then we also did some consumer feedback on our design, which was done by Scott Henderson, who's a world-class industrial designer, and it brought us to the final product. But we're not getting anything negative. What we're told is you needed an inventory. It's hard for us to make this purchase on the pre-sale concept just because of the price point and because we're addressing immediate needs. And it doesn't matter how much you protest that, well, you've lived with this your whole life. You can wait just a few more months and be a pioneer. But the, as far as the design, we're not getting anything back that says, but I wish they would change, or I wish it were in this color. They, they like our matte white and they like the stainless to start. I, I know that I'm one of our co-founders who is my wife, Christy, wants rose gold, but we didn't feel like that was gonna be the most popular thing to lead. Ah, well, we might have other people too. A hands-free opening, closing kind of thing? How does that work? It has a child-proof lock. It has a very soft open. When you push on the pedal, it's actually the, the engineers came up with a unique process that as you push, you get exactly the return you expect so that the lid opens in sync with your foot, where a lot of these um, pedal-operated types of trash cans, the top is flimsy and it flips back really hard or it's so heavy that you can't seem to add enough force and you got to like put your finger underneath, which is gross to touch, you know, and you got to lift it up. And this one literally just, it's a direct pressure, direct open, and it opens and closes with that same soft touch to it. Um, and it's, it's a five pronged um, linking system that they use that we are applying for a patent for it. It's, it's really a, a lovely engineered um, approach and it's something that it's like it's hidden within, but somehow you appreciate that it's different. What amazes me, I mean, first of all, it's a beautiful the, the styling and the designing and the industrial design work is really top notch. And what I thought was interesting is it looks like a normal pedal tray. It doesn't look like you know it's not like some uh, you know spaceship that landed in your kitchen. It's really a very you know sleek, well designed product. You know the way we we talk about it, and I, I sort of alluded to it, is it's very much like the Tesla of trash cans. You can't see a Tesla and not know what it does. It's it's a car, or and it will soon be a truck. And you know that it does it in a way that's somewhat unique because it doesn't have the grill in the front like every other car does. Well, you know our trash can is somewhat unique because it does have a grill in front of it like no other trash can. So we have that same design kind of orientation. You know instantly what it does. And as soon as you understand how it does what it does, the biggest thing we get back is, why didn't we think of this before? Like, how come this never existed before? It's It, it also makes things environmentally safe because you don't have to use proprietary plastic liners because of the way it freezes. It doesn't get dirty in the same way. You're able just to use the tub and you can just scrape it right out with like a paper towel and it's clean, perfectly clean. Oh, and wow. so try that with your trash can and have a little chicken carcass in there and you won't be doing that. You know, it's, it's not a pretty thing. Yeah. So it's... But in so many ways, people do approach it like it's a beautiful design, and I'm surprised that it's so simple. You mentioned, you know, hospitals. You mentioned, you know, people in their own homes. You mentioned pet ways for pet owners and such. Have you thought about going the route of the veterinary clinics or the urgent cares or that kind of thing? Because, you know, knowing a friend of mine who is one of the owners of all the urgent vets that have been opening up all over the United States, I mean, I would think that that would definitely be a target audience for you as well. It absolutely is. And um, they're completely on our radar. And another that I'll give you that would be of the same type of caliber, caliber is every single juicer that has a mm. commitment to composting the waste. In fact, in many municipalities, 
companies has an obligation. Their biggest concern is that they have fruit flies and, and garbage juice all over their stores. And we see this as a very natural way to solve that issue. But Clean to put it simply, I'm sorry? Clean juice, listen up. <laughs> yeah, right, any juice. There's, um, my daughter is in New Orleans and I think it's called um, Smoothie King, which named yep. their stadium. And if Smoothie King is listening, we would love to talk to them because they're <laughs> definitely all over the world. But what I'm about to say is audacious and it's, it's considered though, is that there isn't a place where we dispose of organic matter that should ever again rely on traditional receptacles because they have never in all of time and never will, no matter how many deodorizers we use, proprietary plastic liners, steel encasing, special types of lids, they will never ever stop rot, stink, and the spread of germs. It is physically, scientifically impossible. And this is the only device ever created that does exactly what we should expect of our disposal devices to do. And it does it naturally, inexpensively, and in a way that doesn't take up a lot of space and doesn't change our habits. It just gives us a new expectation of what fresh and clean should be. No more needs for disinfectants and chemicals. And what about from an electricity standpoint? I mean, is this thing going to, you know, jack my electrical bill through the roof or what, what can I expect? Not at all. There's a, I'm going to get the, because I'm dyslexic, I think it's like eight kWh or kilowatts per hour, I think is right, kWh, <laughs> um, that it uses per month. And what that translates into is one wash of clothes not the drying cycle, one wash of clothes. So if you were to put your clothes into the laundry machine, like we all have to, mm -hmm. by the end of that wash, you have used the same, if not more energy than a pedal will use for its entire month. It's nothing. And from a carbon footprint perspective, it's just a complete variation. And you're also segregating your waste now. So if you are in a municipality that does compost or takes organic waste, like most of Canada, all of Canada does, now you have it in a way that you're easily able to do it and you took it out of the landfill. So there's so many benefits to this. And again, like back into medical waste, you're also protecting people at the same time for less than a dollar a month per footprint. If I pull my Chardonnay out of the, uh, and it's a little warm, can I toss it in there, my bottle of Chardonnay? Oh, we love it. We love it. Yes, absolutely. In fact, one of our campaigns is tell us, how do you use your pedal? And so we've gotten everything from people who said, well, it's a quick humidor, and I can just keep it in. Oh, like yeah. Beer for fraternities have responded to that. There's a whole legalization thing going. So people say my cannabis doesn't stink. I can stick it in there. And yes, you can put your Chardonnay. You just don't want to leave it forever because it is a freezer. Or my vodka. Or my vodka. I'll just put vodka, my vodka. You can leave Vodka's it okay in the freezer. Now it can freeze to the nth degree and it only tastes better the colder it gets. It'll be great with that. This could be a revolution in Russia. I can yes. tell you. Worldwide. I'm telling you, we're yeah. just plant every your home, your home, uh, your home vodka storage unit. I mean, think about it, Tom. Like in these hot summers in the Carolina, and you don't have a refrigerator, but maybe on your back deck, but you do have an outlet, so you plug your pedal in outside while everybody's just sitting around outside, and then you just go get your beverage. Yeah, there you are. 
<laughs> my question is based on because I am a composter, and and one of the things that I that you're right about the about the flies and everything like that. But the thing is, is that does this not also help preserve the compost in the way that if if I'm composting during the winter months, that I can preserve it more to go more into spring and stuff like that because we're putting it into a different form or a different state. It only has a five gallon capacity, so depending upon how much organic matter you're using you would most likely at the end of each week, take it to your, either the pickup or if you're doing it in your own yard, you would drop it into the area where you keep your composted material. And then depending upon what your temperatures are there, it may slowly begin to do all of the good things it's meant to do for the soil. But within your home, it never changes form while it's in the petal. So you can go an entire week or more, depending upon how much you use, and you will never find any element of it to be um, disturbing to you. I take care of a forest, and I need my compost for this forest. And and I'm just sitting here like a child going, oh, my God, this is this is the tool. Yes. Yeah. And actually, a number of people have responded to it that way. And we're... we're going to put out a campaign to make this very visual. What we're going to show you is if you're um, if you're composting and you have a banana and you drop it into your, your pail, and let's assume you don't put your pail in your refrigerator because that takes up so much space, but you do it in the traditional way. You put it back under the sink and then you take a, the same, another banana and you drop that pail into your petal. If you came back the next morning and you pulled out the banana pail that was in the banana peel, see there's the dyslexia, in the pail, and it will be brown and gross and a little slimy, and you can already tell that it's starting to attract fruit flies. But if you took the one out of the petal, it will be bright yellow, it will have frozen in form. You can actually hold it sideways. Can you imagine seeing your banana peel sideways, like the Nike swoosh coming by or like Superman flying, and you can hold it outright and it will be a complete horizontal to the ground. And it will stay in that state until you ultimately dispose of it outside in your forest. Do you find yourself growing beyond the five gallons? And the reason why I ask that is because I, I, I work one-on-one with a lot of these 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 people that take down trees and we've got wood chips and stuff. So I have mountains of wood chips that I put out in the forest. Do you find yourself doing it? Because I only have so many weeks that I can use those chips or they become, they're not worth anything. Uh, for, for, for people that really do work, especially for the National Forest Service and stuff like that, where that's natural energy, it's feeding the earth naturally, and it's, it's very environmental. Yeah, the answer to your question is absolutely. Um, from a residential perspective, what we see is having going back to our smaller unit for feminine hygiene products because it's more discreet in the bathroom, having a larger one, 10 gallons or so for adult briefs, and then actually having the equivalent of our rolling trash can that you keep in the garage where you would have the guts of everything that causes it to refrigerate, including the power source at the base, and then you disengage it and can roll out your plastic on wheels, maybe, or, um, uh, I don't know what to call it, like a can or disposal system, you know, out for the truck to take it from you. So that way, every bit of organic waste stayed in a frozen state until it hit the street. And then in an enterprise level, we have come up with a concept that is designed for the army that's much larger 
and it includes four units that also are battery operated. So you can take this technology to the edge before you can connect it to a generator. And then for um, like, let's take a sushi restaurant, just at a very simple place, they could use like a 10 gallon located right inside of the restaurant. And then outside, we'd like to have a dumpster size. And in Asia, they actually have frozen rooms with these types of concepts. They haven't done the frozen pails at this level, but this has the ability to scale and cover all the verticals through the whole life cycle of waste. And are going back to being audacious, I'm also ambitious, were we successful at this stage? You know, And that's always when you're an entrepreneur, you're never positive that you will be successful regardless of how well you execute. But were we successful? We envision actually an entire line of verticals that we go after with horizontals of different sizes. I got to give you a compliment. My son is dyslexic, and I got to tell you that he needs to hear this conversation because you are a champion and you could inspire him in really big ways. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I have a, a small little story to share on that front that maybe will help your son. Yeah. Is that um, I, when I went to law school, um, I, I went to one of the top law schools in the country. And what I chose law instead of psychiatry because I was so afraid to show people that I can't even pronounce what that element is in Tylenol, a set of or something. Right. And I, even now I'm consciously trying to say it and I can't say it. So I knew I would never make it to medical school because I can't spell anything and I couldn't say anything. I couldn't remember the name of any song. I couldn't hear the words of songs, languages. I couldn't translate it. I kept like tripping, even though I understood it, I couldn't say it. And it, and my, I had a friend who I went to college with. We both went to law school. His name is Donald Tobin. He's now the Dean of Maryland's law school. And he noted about me that I used to feel so stupid. And I'm an honors graduating in three years at Duke University, going on to Virginia Law School. And there were parts of my life where I'm stuttering. I couldn't get things across. And it wasn't until last year that he came across something. It turns out we're both dyslexic. And he shared this book with me that what it explained is I found a coping mechanism so that I read in a very different way than everyone else reads. I remap my brain to go to a place to read, but I couldn't escape all of the other you know, impediments of having dyslexia that always made me feel stupid. And now it's become a badge of honor because I'm like, if I struggled with this, I want everyone to know, because as I said, I'm proud of ignorance. I'm proud of my inadequacies too, because I'm overcoming them. And so I might as well share them. And I wish I had known earlier because I wouldn't have been so hard on myself but in the end, I, I now am able to compensate. And benefit of your son, one of the things I also learned is I've been an entrepreneur since I was eight years old. At the same time, I picked up my first camera and became a photographer and an artist. And I have a very creative side. I brand all of my company, the artwork around it. I'm always, I don't physically do it, but I have a strong visual of where I'm going and I'm always doing art. And it turns out that's the flip side of being dyslexic is that you have expansive creative abilities. And even though our society sometimes poo-poos those and seems to want to elevate my, my business acumen or the law, the part that makes me feel the better human is the art side. So I'm thankful for the dyslexia for having both sides of that. As you know, entrepreneurism takes a lot of creativity. You have to think outside the box so many times and, and do things in a different way to be successful. So do you think that had an impact? Uh, 100%. Uh, my thinking is very 
nonlinear in the face of catastrophe or in the face of pain. In fact, as things get harder and harder, I actually get more open to the point where I actually find the whole situation not perplexing, but intriguing because I've never seen this before. And then I'm able to think way beyond what my linear progression would have told me to do. Like I, logically, I understand I should be fearful or uncertain or have doubt, but instead I'm like, well, there's an avenue I haven't thought about. This is a way to go, you know, and part of its tenaciousness, part of its resilience, but those two without being fueled by creativity are just effort without thought. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I have actually often felt that I could think past a circumstance because of something I didn't understand. And now I can give it a perspective. It's, it's that I've developed that creative muscle. But with that said, I'm, I've now been the head of almost 30 businesses. I've never once created a business. I'm only creative in how I execute. I could have never come up with Pedal. I'm not that guy. I'm not going to be the one that's going to think of the next software opportunity. I might be able to identify that this could have traction and go into the world and start to execute on it and perhaps execute more creatively than the next. But I'm not that creative person that comes up with the inspiration of what the business should be. But I would say that's creative in and of itself. Finding ways around obstacles is certainly creativity. Uh, just not the, you know, the original idea, light bulb kind of creativity that we think about. It's still, you know, I know in my business career, um, you know, some of the best, most creative moments I've had is trying to overcome an obstacle that was in front of me and finding a way around it or some way uh, um, to succeed in spite of, you know, bumps in the road. Absolutely. And, and, you know, part of creativity is that it also gives you some malleability. So I've confronted things where I could see that I was at the end of any potential in a business. And instead of pivoting, I was able to take the end to create a beginning out of something where everyone else is just like, wait a second, you should be finished. It should be over. And I was like, well, but there was such a cool angle with this that if you just saw that we could leverage that experience into this relationship, then we can go forward as a new entity. You know, which is kind of the concept of a pivot, but it's not just starting over, oh, let's have another idea. And so I've often found that being like wide open to things and accepting that I know nothing and exploring all the possibilities made it, you know, really was a creative exercise that pays off. Well, David, you have such an amazing product. I wish you so much success. Not only that, but you have an inspiring story. More importantly, it's just a great backstory to this whole Uh, business and this whole product. So before we end, I'd love to ask, how can customers find out or how can our listeners find out more about Pedal? How can we find it? Well, we we would invite everyone to go to Pedal, P-E-T-A-L, and that's for all the people like me, P-E-T-A-L, clean, C-L-E-A-N dot com. They can also reach out to me directly. I'm on LinkedIn as David M.M. Taffet, and I'd be happy to talk to anybody and everybody. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, you really want to hear about some more cool kitchen appliances, check out one of our previous episodes with Adam Trexellis of Miller Appliances. He really lays out a cool vision for the future of the kitchen.